Hey everybody, welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen and I'm your host. Man, I got a great conversation for you today. Uh, I sit down with an old friend, Joe Claypatch. Joe's a former Navy guy, submariner. We met on a retreat and Joe is now working down in Louisiana, home of Thibodeau. Works for the diocese down there. And the work that Joe is doing as a liaison to support pastors and parishes down in his diocese is beautiful work with a great rhyme that myself and the other members of the parish support team, folks here at the Chantry want to do to support our parishes and pastors. A lot of really good stuff. Joe just really practically breaks down how he and his team discern. Right, he'll he talks about a three-way conversation between himself and the Lord and the person that he's that he's with. He talks about the concept of doing lexio on life, just listening to what the Lord says about what he's been doing in our day-to-day life. He offers a lot of really practical advice about concretely making time for prayer and really asking the question, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? It's great stuff. You're going to love today's conversation. Take a listen. Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Joe Claypatch, welcome. How you doing? I'm doing all right. All right. So Joe, we were just before we hit record here. I was just, we we're just reminiscing a little bit. We met here in Omaha. You know, I'll let you tell a little bit of your own story, but you're a you're a Navy man. You were here in Omaha, loving the Lord. We were on a men's retreat together. And I'm like, man, this guy has a lot of a lot of underlines in his Bible. Like this is, it was like the first thing it was like kind of creepy. It's like leaning over and like looking, but I was like, hey, that's all really good stuff. And gosh, we sat down for lunch a couple of times. And then since then, the Lord has taken you down to Louisiana. So why don't we catch everybody else up on the conversation? Just to start with, just give everybody just just the short like, okay, who are you? And talk a little bit about like your your faith journey. How'd you first meet Jesus? Oh wow! So first met Jesus. It was a long time into life that that happened. I was born and raised, uh, had amazingly awesome parents. First Holy Communion confirmation in the normal kind of time frame of anyone in New mm-hmm. Jersey where I grew up, but. As I've said to many people in the past is that you don't encounter Jesus by making Noah's Ark out of popsicle sticks. <laughs> and uh, I don't think that my development and formation as a young person was ordered towards helping me understand the call to discipleship and the call mm-hmm. to know who Jesus was, that Jesus was a real person. So when I went to college, any kind of faith life really fizzled away with the mm-hmm. exception of, as you alluded to, I was in the military, but I also went to military school for college. I went to a place called the Virginia Military Institute. And your first time there yeah. is pretty miserable. And then after that, I went to what's called Officer Candidate School, um, mm-hmm. which anyone has seen the movie Officer and a Gentleman, There's you get pretty much just abused by Marine Corps drill instructors for about nine weeks. And anytime I was in a situation like that, I would go to Mass on Sunday because that was the way I could get away from those things. Uh, but there was never really any solid belief. in me. So I graduated college in 97. I joined the Navy in 98. And it wasn't until later in life in about 2006 timeframe when I started dating who I'm now married to, my wife, Kristen. And through her, I encountered a community of Catholics in Virginia Beach 
and mm-hmm. they lived an authentically Christian life. Um, they were smart. They were intelligent. They were on fire for the Lord. And they caused me to question my kind of understanding of reality, my understanding of existence, my understanding of who I was as a person, uh, all that. And I was challenged through them and through my wife. Some people there in Omaha know my story a little bit more detail about that, but I was challenged to reevaluate those things. And uh, it's kind of funny. My wife, before we got engaged and when we got engaged, I was not, I would not have considered myself a Catholic. Or even a Christian, probably. But I was I was on a journey of some sort and we got engaged. And she immediately after we got engaged went to Honduras for nine months or no, six months to start a therapy clinic. She's an occupational therapist. So she moved to Honduras to a town called Cumiagua to start up a therapy clinic in the community there, on basically on mission work. And wow. I was stuck at home. But what was amazing about it was is that what it did is it gave me the opportunity to, there was a wall of pride in me, I guess, that I was like, I'm not going to lose this battle. I'm going to win this battle and I'm never going to convert to whatever she's believing. She's crazy, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. But by her leaving, it really opened me up to, to let that pride go away. And I had interactions with people in Virginia beach throughout that time, because I was working in her condo in Virginia beach. I lived in Washington, DC. She lived in Virginia beach. And I was doing some work on her condo at the time. And I would have dinner with friends down there and they would continue to challenge me. And I started reading a lot. And some of those readings, I'll get to the point of this in a second here, but some of those times that I was reading, I would go to a church that had adoration on Thursday night in Alexandria, Virginia, because it was a quiet place. And I knew I could sit there in silence and read like Christian books without like people looking at me like, you're crazy. What are you reading that stuff for? So I would go to adoration. I would sit there and read, not because I had any understanding of what adoration was at the time, but through that, he worked <laughs> without That's me knowing awesome. it, I think. And I went to confession for the first time in about 20 years on a Thursday night in June of 2010. And that was really where my faith journey started. But it was very much an intellectual faith. We then uh, got married. A couple of months later, we moved to England because I was stationed in England for a while. And we fell into a Christian community in England, uh, a Catholic community in England. And I will never forget, we used to do this Wednesday night kind of Bible study where we throw in like a Scott Hahn video or something like that. And then we'd all just talk about it afterwards. There are about eight or nine of us. And I'm standing there answering all these questions, having just come back to the church, like a year, maybe a year and a half previously. And Kristen's looking at me, he's like, who is this guy sitting next to me? Because a year and a half ago, I would have said, you're crazy if I'm going to be in this position. But we were making, I was in the kitchen with a woman named Barbara Williams one night and we were making tea for everyone because we'd watch the video and then we'd go make tea and have biscuits or cookies. Yeah, because you're in America. I mean, why not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course. And she looks at me one night and she like pokes me in the chest. She's a very unassuming woman, like a very calm, peaceful, non-confrontational woman. And she looks at me and she like points at my chest and like pokes me in the chest and says, you know what? You know a lot about Jesus, but you don't know him. And I was kind of like, whoa. And that was like a challenge for me. And I realized in reflecting on that moment, and I didn't really, I'll be honest with you. I didn't have a very good prayer life at that point in time. And I'll be honest with you, I reflected a little bit on that moment. I realized, you know what? That time in adoration, when I was reading at St. Mary's Mm -hmm. in Alexandria, bore a lot of fruit from an intellectual perspective in me. So I went to the priest at the parish there in England. In England, an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion could expose Jesus for adoration. No, obviously no benediction or anything like that. But so he got permission. He made me an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. And then every morning, every Tuesday morning at six o'clock, I'd go to the parish. It would expose Jesus. And me and another woman would sit in the parish for an hour on Tuesday mornings from six to seven. And I would just sit there with him. And over time praying with him, 
you learn how to hear his voice. And that was really when I met the Lord to answer your original question. It was that time in adoration in England that I really began to meet the Lord. So we left England, uh, moved to Omaha, Nebraska. As you know, that's where I was stationed next. I was at Stratcom for a while. We were doing a lot of ministry work in the parish. I was part of the RCIA team. That's where I met. I think you had a conversation with a guy named Pat Dempsey on one of these. Pat Dempsey is a very good friend of mine. I met him there through the RCIA team. My wife and I also did a lot of uh, marriage enrichment uh, at St. Columkill. That's where we mm-hmm. were parishes. We were running kind of a, not a small group, but a small slash large group for doing marriage enrichment type stuff, theology of the body, other marriage programs in the parish there. From that came out a little small group that we did in someone's house there. Throughout that whole time, I felt like God was calling me to do something more deeper, more directly for him and his church. Mm-hmm. And that's when uh, I started working on a degree degree in catechesis and evangelization from Steubenville. Um, so I got that while I was in Omaha. And then about a month before, or not a month, about a year before I was coming up on retirement, because I knew retirement was coming up in the Navy, we ran into a mutual friend from England who was doing mission work there at another friend's wedding in Atlanta. And uh, she was talking to me. She's just, you know, her Kristen Ibala, you know, yes. Kristen. Yeah. yeah. We Fantastic. ran into her at the wedding and uh, she asked me a question. She's like, so what are you going to do? Like, what, where's your path? Where's the Lord taking you? And I told her that I felt like the Lord was calling me to do something more direct for the church. And I was working on the, the degree at the time and things like that. And so we should come down and check it out in home of Thibodeau. I was yeah. like, home of Thibodeau. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where's that? <laughs> oh, that's an hour Southwest of New Orleans. You can get Southwest of New Orleans. Yeah. It's like, so it's in the Gulf, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So I came down here. I spent about two and a half weeks down here, uh, just visiting with people, meeting people. Um, and then we came back to Omaha. We did a lot of prayer and discernment and we felt like the Lord was calling us to come here. And that's where um, the doors just closed at doors everywhere else closed. I had applied for a couple positions there in the Omaha area. Um, mm-hmm. Those never came through, but everything come. It was like, it was like a six lane highway coming to home at Thibodeau and like, nothing going anywhere else. So it was obvious. So we ended up here. We got here in November of 2018. I started working for the diocese in an organization called the Office of Parish Support. At the time, it wasn't necessarily the Office of Parish Support. We didn't really form as an office until the fall of 2019. But yeah, that's where I am. And I'm a liaison for pastors down here in in the diocese. So that's basically my story and probably what too long of a nutshell, but a nutshell, nonetheless. Well, I love, I mean, I'm a sucker for people's faith journeys and I can, I can relate a lot. I mean, I had a similar, you know, raised Catholic, left, had an intellectual coming back to the church, but getting to know, right, not just like about Jesus, but getting to know him as a person and as a friend and developing habits of conversation. That was, that was a slower burn that came a little bit later. So I love, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a sucker for everybody's stories, but I I feel a lot of rhyme because that's similar to mine. Joe, give people a little bit of a description about your day job. Because again, talk about rhymes. What you all are doing down in Homa Thibodeau is very similar to what my team and I have been trying to do here in Omaha. You know, we're not going to totally nerd out. We're going to try not to (laughs) totally nerd out about it in our conversation today, but but it was very similar. So just give people a quick picture about what you're doing. So our office is an office called the Office of Parish Support, and we're a group of five liaisons. There's one priest and four lay people in our office, and we're liaisons. We're what are called liaisons to the pastors. Uh, We are each assigned anywhere between five and nine pastors that we work with. I'm personally assigned six pastors, and we support them in any way that they desire. This whole thing, though, came up 
in 2015, when Bishop Shelton Fobb became the Bishop of the Diocese, he started by doing, he was having lunch with all the priests mm -hmm. just to hear, hear from them, hear about them. And then from there, they did a lot of listening sessions with all of the parishes in this effort of a kind of a strategic planning for parish renewal down here in the diocese. And what became aware quickly in that is that parishes needed to have some kind of planning involved in what they were doing. So what they did is they created liaisons and they assigned different pastors or different lay people mm -hmm. to each of the parishes to help them through the strategic planning process. And they saw a lot of benefit to that. So part of that strategic planning came to the conclusion that we needed something more long-term, more stable, more mm -hmm. sustainable uh, to do that for our pastors and our parishes. Uh, so they embarked, Father Mark Toops, Bishop Shelton Fobb, and a couple other key lay people embarked on creating this office called the Office of Parish Support. And what we are, we are a group of people who strictly have the best interests of our pastors, our assigned pastors in mind. Bishop Fobb, when he introduced the office, he talked to the priests and he said to them, you know, there are, there are certain things that you need to flourish as a priesthood. Things like you need a historian, you need someone to give you support, you need someone to help you keep focus, you need someone to hold you accountable. And the accountability piece that we do is not necessarily like the chancellor saying, hey, you need to do this because we say you have to do this. It's more like, hey, Father Mark, because I'm a liaison for one of my pastors is Father Mark is like, hey, Father Mark, you said last time we met, you said you were going to do this. How did that go? Did you yeah. actually do it? Did you follow through with that effort? Did you follow through with what you felt like the Lord was calling you to do? That's the nature of the accountability that right. we provide. We're not like, hey, you didn't give your form into the Catholic schools. Um, and that's all rooted in the, we have an understanding with our pastors that we are their liaison to the chancery, not the chancery's liaison to them. Yeah, And I think there's an openness to them because that's the perspective that we come in from. But so we support our pastors. We're there to see our pastors succeed. Whatever they need, that's what we're there for. Um, and some of that doesn't tell working with lay people too. So we do a lot of work with the laity in those parishes also, mm -hmm. but ultimately our primary customer is the pastor. That's fantastic. Again, I'm like, just, I'm laughing. I don't know how many of our listeners, but you know, like here I am like working in the parish support team. Uh, we don't call them liaisons. We call them coaches. I mean, literally the, the convictions, the style, even a lot of the terminology, there was no connection. In fact, I had never, I know, don't mock me because of my geography, but I had never heard of Homo Thibodeau. <laughs> and, and yet it would seem the same Holy Spirit was guiding the process happening there and happening here in the Archdiocese of Omaha, even, even listening sessions, you know, the Archbishop Lucas's vision and priorities came out of a, a listening session exercise. And just, I mean, the rhymes mm -hmm. are really uncanny. Yeah. Give us a little bit of, of a picture here. Like, what do you see as you come alongside these pastors and parishes, right? Parish leaders are like, okay, we're here to help them with whatever they need. What do they need? What do what the conversations typically focus on? It's different for all the pastors because each pastor is very, very unique. I have 
one pastor is a brand new pastor. He's been a pastor for a year this coming July. So imagine being a pastor and you get hit with COVID in the very beginning, and then you get hit with a major hurricane in the very beginning. And so I have been very much helping him from the perspective of just like general leadership kind of things. Like, how do you lead your team? How do you lead your people? Yeah. How do you, how do you just manage through things like that? That's been my focus with him. Another one of my pastors that I have, he has been a pastor for almost 20 years now. He's a very seasoned pastor. He's one of our vicar generals. And my role for him is he uses me as someone to just like, hey, here's what I'm thinking about through the parish. Shoot it down for me. Tell me where the problems with that are. That's awesome. That way we can talk through them. We can talk through those challenges. So like I met with him, I'm meeting with him next Tuesday, but I went met with him a month ago on Tuesday. We talked about a whole bunch of things. It took us like three hours. I was down there for, I think, four hours just mm-hmm. talking through all the efforts he had going on in his parish. Um, so that's the role I have with him. One of my other pastors, he just likes to talk. He just wants someone to talk to. He's in a, he's <laughs> Man, in a very my own small heart. rural section. Yeah. He's just in a small rural section of our community. And um, there's not a huge amount of stuff. And he just likes to have a conversation with me. One of our other pastors is going through some challenging things post hurricane, and I'm helping him navigate how to best kind of just sit back and take a big picture view of things. So really there's no standard interaction with any of my pastors. They're all very different, but that makes sense because the Lord made us all very different and very unique. And he calls us to very different and very unique things based on our, our situations. And the other thing we do with our pastors is we try to help them get to discern what the Lord is calling them to do. Mm -hmm. We're not spiritual directors. We we're very careful to realize that we are not their spiritual directors, but Mm -hmm. we can also help them. Hey, you said this is where the Lord's calling you this time. The time before that, you said this. The time before that, you said this. Do you recognize the commonality in that? Because they are so busy. Our mm-hmm. pastors are so incredibly busy and they're isolated and they don't have a lot of support. And that's that's what we provide for them is mm-hmm. support in whatever they need and however they do. And that's that's where our heart is. That's where each one of the team is here because they love pastors and they want to support them. That's awesome. Gosh, Joe, there's so many ways I'd love to go with this, but I mean, you all have seen beautiful fruit come from your labors. And when I say that, not like necessarily big numbers, but stories of pastors, uh, different parish leaders, finding encouragement and hope and just the willingness to kind of set out again into their own little vineyards and, and mission fields. Talk a little bit about the fruit that you've seen from your labors. One of them, one pastor, he was a new pastor as parish. This was, this was one of my, this is early on in my time here being a liaison. I've been one for almost two years now. And early on in that time, I had a pastor who had just become the pastor of a parish. Uh, he thought the parish was in great kind of financial position and it wasn't. Mm. It was struggling a lot. And that came up in one of our initial conversations because I, I basically asked him the question of like, what keeps you awake at night? What is your biggest like worry about the parish? And he said, the, the financial state of the parish is really mm. weighing on me a lot. And I said, well, let's figure that out. And we started to get him some support in that. And he said to me after three or four meetings through that and working through getting him some direct support and how to raise some funding in the parish, get more stewardship involved in his parishioners, those sort of things. He kind of looks at me, you know, he, he says to me, 
it's nice to just have someone that I can lean my shoulder on and just to see the difference in him and the, the freedom mm -hmm. that he would have, because he knew there was someone there to support him that just had his best interest mind. That's one of them. Another one of them goes back to, and this wasn't my experience personally, but it's a story that I think is very telling in this process. In the initial stages of the process, they were working with those teams. Kristen Ibala actually was working with one of the teams and there was a gentleman in that meeting. She's talking about how we have to do what the Lord calls us to do, not just what we think is a good thing to do. If you think about it this way, mm -hmm. the devil is going to try and come after you, right? He's going to try and get you to turn away from God. When he fails that game, the next thing he's going to try and do is give you a lot of things to do that are all good. So yeah. he's going to say, hey, Jim, go be an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion in your parish. Hey, Jim, go take communion to the homebound. Hey, Jim, go work at that soup kitchen. Hey, Jim, go coach your son's softball or your son's soccer team because you, you have a son play soccer. I remember that from the other day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, go, you know that, you know that marriage retreat that they're, that they're asking you to run, go run that too. You're not going to accomplish anything because you're doing everything that's possibly, and those are all good things. Yeah. What you really have to do is you have to stop and say, okay, Lord, what are you calling me to do? So they were explaining this to this parish team and this guy slams his hand on the table. I'm not going to do that because it'll sound really bad over a podcast, but he <laughs> slams his hand on the table and he says, low hanging fruit. Like everyone kind of looks at him because he just blurts it out. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he looks at his pastor and he says, I don't want to be low hanging fruit. I'm low hanging fruit. Anything, anytime something comes up, you ask me to do it. And I say, yes, because I'm low hanging fruit. I want you to help me discern what the Lord is calling me to do, wow. not just be low hanging fruit. And that concept of low hanging fruit, I've brought up with many of the different people that I've worked with in some of the parishes and talking to them later on down the process, when they really start to pray and they really start to focus on mm -hmm. what the Lord is calling them to do, their life changes. They become better husbands. One of the um, adult formation leaders in one of our parishes that uh, I was working with before I was no longer his liaison. I saw him change drastically because of his time just praying about what the Lord was calling them to do with adult formation in the parish. So yeah, adult yeah. formation is a good thing. Doing adult formation is a good thing, but it's really good is when you take the time to pray about what the Lord is calling you to do. Cause not only are you then doing what the Lord is calling you to do, but you're also habituating yourself to just follow him wherever he takes you. And yeah. when you follow the Lord, wherever he takes you, your life, it's not going to be easy. Don't get me wrong. Life yeah. is not going to be all like chocolate fountains and unicorns, <laughs> but uh, there's a piece that's, that's involved in that, that you know, that the Lord is calling you to do what he's calling you to do and you're following it. And there's a, there's a great piece that comes in that, even if it's hard. Joe, I love that. I just want to like, let's, let's dig in there just a little bit more because you talked about kind of your own story. It's like just extended time in prayer, in adoration, just learning how to hear the Lord's voice. Mm -hmm. I feel like what you're saying is extraordinarily simple, right? It's not rocket science, but it's not common practice. I mean, if we even reflect at all about the invitations and opportunities that are put before us within, you know, a parish community, we often very, very quickly and superficially like, all right, yeah, Lord, uh, maybe I'll, and we just, we just make a decision kind of on the run, passing Jesus, doing 60. Hey, Lord, what do you think? Okay, great. I'm on my way to say yes to, to do this. And he's like, but, but, get, well, actually, how do you 
just if you could break it down, how do you encourage people to stop and discern and then within that to hear his voice? You mean practically like yeah, kind yeah, of the process by which we do that? Or are you yeah. talking about like just, cause I think there's a twofold challenge there. There's the challenge of, I think sometimes people don't even trust that the Lord actually speaks. Yes. And that's a challenge. Yeah. I think in getting them to just understand that yes, the Lord will speak to you. Yeah. He cares to enough that. to tell you if you slow down to ask. Exactly. And I think the problem is, is everything is so loud in our world today and everything is so busy and we're all stretched way too thin that we've forgotten that we can just stop and sit in silence and actually hear the Lord. And you don't actually hear the Lord until you start practicing it. Mm -hmm. You can't just suddenly expect to turn the speaker on and have the Lord suddenly start talking to you because you're not going to recognize if you're not accustomed to listening to him in the silence, you're not going to recognize his voice when he talks to you. So mm -hmm. I think that's the first challenge is making is helping people realize that they can actually do that. Yeah. And then there's the challenge of like, well, I believe I can do this. How do I actually do it? And a lot of it for us what has worked really well here in the diocese down in Hobart Thibodeau is a couple of different things. One, we do a lot of, a lot of Ignatian kind of spirituality um, mm -hmm. things, the, the imaginative prayer with scripture, taking the, especially the kind of the daily examine and seeing where the Lord is working in your life, just taking time and just putting yourself in his presence and saying, okay, Lord, I know you're here. And just sitting for a couple of minutes, you know, as Ignatius says in the span of an hour, father, take the time to realize his presence. And then with him next to you, evaluate your day. See, Lord, where were you working on my day? Highlight those things in my day. And he'll highlight certain things. He'll bring certain things to mind. And then just take those to the Lord and see where He's where he was working in them, uh, where you responded in the way he would have wanted you to respond. There's that. There's also something we use down here called a discernment rosary. Mm -hmm. If we have, so like perfect example, we are doing a, an event for the youth formation leaders in our parish is uh, in the end of July. And our team, right before I started this call with you, our team was praying about the content for that, that uh, session. And what we do is basically we just throw a table on a question on the table and we say, here's the question, Lord, we want you to speak to it. And we'll play, pray a couple decades of the rosary. Just say, okay, Lord, what are you speaking in this? Other than that, the other thing that's been very helpful is just sharing prayer with other people. Mm. God made us for community. That's obvious. We wouldn't be speaking language if we weren't made for community, right? Yeah. And we're made in his image and likeness, three people in communion with them. So clearly we're made for community if we're made in that image and likeness. Um, and something that's been very fruitful in prayer is when you are, when you're sharing the, the fruits of your prayer with other people, not only does it help you evaluate your own and recognize your own better, but you see it in other people that builds confidence that yes, the Lord does talk because you see it in other people. Yeah. There's like, wait, I'm you're like, okay, I could be crazy and just kind of making this up, but it seems like we're all here in the same thing. Yes. That's the fascinating thing. Yeah. I mean, and that's the principle in many ways. And so the, right, that's the principle behind the liturgy. It's the fruition of Jesus's, you know, where two or three are gathered in my name mm -hmm. that like, you're like, oh, wow, like this isn't just me. I think the Lord is moving and speaking. Mm -hmm. I love it. If you would, just since we're on this, talk a little bit about, I have found this fascinating, the commitment that you and the other kind of liaisons down at Homo Thibodeau make to prayer 
before and after you engage in conversation with pastors and parish leaders. I just think that's a, that if you could share a little bit about that, it's just a beautiful picture of how you make these principles of like, all right, let's let the Lord speak. Let's really lead with prayer. You make it concrete. Yes, very much so. So anytime we're going to have a meeting with a pastor or a key lay leader in a parish or a team in a parish or something like that, what we'll do is each one of us have made a commitment to just take half hour, hour, 15 minutes, depending. The Lord really leads that. I put a half an hour on my calendar for it, and sometimes it goes over and sometimes it goes quicker. There's a chapel here in the building right below my right below my office. So I'll walk down there and I'll just sit in the chapel and I'll just sit with the Lord and I'll kind of do for me. I, I mean, every, it, this is different for everyone on the team because I think the Lord engages with everyone on the team differently. I'll do what's kind of like, I guess you would call like Alexio on life. You know, I'll hmm. reflect through my time with that pastor and I'll say like, Lord, what, what from our past engagements do you want me to be, bring up? What do you want me to be aware of? And then what I'll do is I'll also talk to him and like, well, what do you want me to listen for this time when I go to meet with him? And I'll tell you, it was hard at first. I was not skeptical of it, more like, I don't think I recognize the important and the necessity of it mm -hmm. until I began to recognize that, like, this is what the Lord put on my heart to listen for. And then when I go into the meeting with the pastor, that topic comes up with the pastor. And I'm like, I knew that conversation was come up. And because I spent the time in prayer beforehand, mm -hmm. I knew to be attentive to that when it came up, because yeah. I think there's something, there's something very key when you're having any kind of a conversation with another human being, like the conversation even we're having right now, right? Yeah. The Lord is constantly all the time, nonstop, because he dwells in us all the time. He is constantly communicating with me. He's constantly communicating with you. Mm -hmm. The more you're attentive to the conversation that you're having with the Lord, the more I'm attentive to hearing the Lord through you. And the more you're doing the same in my direction, the more fruitful our conversation will be. Mm -hmm. So there's really three conversations going on right yes. now. There's a conversation yeah. you're having with the Lord. There's a conversation I'm having with the Lord. And there's our conversation. And our conversation will only be fruitful if we're attentive to that other com those other two conversations that are going on Amen. and what the pre-prayer with our pastor and our teams does is that allows us to be more inclined to be aware of that as it's going on in the moment. It's kind of like C.S. Lewis, you know, C.S. Lewis and I think it's mere Christianity talks about it. He talks about how like the things we do build habits in us and mm -hmm. inclinations in us. So the more we do good things, the more likely we are to do good things. If I'm going to lie to you, mm -hmm. I'm more inclined to lie to you the next time I talk and then the yeah. next time and the next time until I'm just a complete and total liar. But same thing, like in the positive direction, if I'm more inclined to be attentive to the conversation that I'm having with the Lord on a regular basis, the more inclined I am when I'm having this conversation here, the, what the Lord is doing with you and what he's doing with me. So we can bear fruit in this conversation. Mm -hmm. So I think there's that component to it. And then there's always, you know, the mystical component of that, that, kind of bears out in John 15, the, I am the vine, you are the branches thing. And that, and this is something that has recently come up for me as points of prayer and reflection for me is that if we are truly grafted to the vine and I haven't really fully prayed through this, so I'm kind of going off the cuff here a little bit, but if we are truly grafted to the vine, then we can only help but bear fruit. Right. Yeah. So if I am sitting with the Lord before I meet with my pastors if we are truly grafted to that vine and we're grafting ourselves to that vine while we're in that pre-prayer, 
we can only help but bear fruit when we engage with our pastors or when we engage with the lay leaders in our parish. So that pre-prayer over time has become one of the most important things for all of us. Mm -hmm. Like I said, in the beginning, I was very, like I said, not skeptical, but very just not prioritizing it. You know, there were sometimes I go into a meeting and not prioritizing it. And it wasn't until, so we do one-on-ones with the director of our office, David Dawson, every week. And it wasn't until he began to highlight to me that like, hey, when you did your pre-prayer, this is the fruit that was born in that meeting. You didn't do your pre-prayer in that meeting and there was no fruit born in that meeting. And it wasn't until someone else pointed that back to that communal piece. It wasn't until someone yeah. else pointed that out to me that I really recognized it. So that pre-prayer has become very, very essential, important to all of us. And then there's a post-prayer afterwards because you want to also like, Lord, what did I miss in that conversation? What do you want to highlight for me in that conversation so I could take that to my future dealings with that pastor? So usually after I get done with a pastor, I'll stop in an adoration chapel and I'll just spend 15 minutes and just kind of, again, do a Lexio on life through that conversation and be like, mm -hmm. okay, this is what we talked about. This is what we talked about. And then see just what the Lord highlights. There's something stand out much more. And then I jot those down in my notes and it informs my pre-prayer before the next meeting often also. Yeah. Say a little bit more about the Lexio on life. Use use that term twice. Like I love that. That's a great. I don't yeah. know if that's a if that's a Joeism or if that's you know trademarked somewhere else. But say more about that. So I don't remember who the pastor is. I could send it to you, and I guess you could put it in the show notes or something like that. But um, so I did that degree in evangelization evangelization and catechesis with Franciscan. One of the classes. Pedagogy of God 2 was the class. The instructor of the class gave us a handout about doing Lexio Divina and also what they called Lexio on Life. And it was written by a priest. I want to say his name was Father Luke Dysinger, but I'm not sure. And it just talks about like, instead of just, so you can do Lexio Divina with scripture, right? Mm -hmm. That's the standard way of doing Lexio Divina, divine reading. But like God doesn't only speak to us through scripture. He speaks to us all the time. Mm -hmm. So you can almost do what is like Alexio on your day. It's kind of an Ignatian exam. It's a different way yeah. of talking through an Ignatian examine of your day. Yeah. And I just, that, that term Lexio on life has kind of stuck with me since that class. And I, it was pointed out to me. And uh, it's funny when I was at St. Columkeel in Omaha, Nebraska, they were going through this, this big um, capital campaign to build a new gym and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I was the one who was directing the prayer team to come up with the prayer for the capital campaign. And that's what I did with everyone. I just walked them through Alexio on life. And it was funny because there was another team, which was kind of the marketing team and they were praying about it in a different way. And when we came then the two teams came together, the prayer that we came up with and the marketing kind of thing that they came up with, they aligned perfectly. Nice. Which goes back to what you were talking about before. It was like, when we actually take time to pray to God and we actually talk to him, He's going to talk to us and yeah. it's proved when two different people, two different groups of people independently from each other are praying about the same thing. The spirit talks and yeah. you see that commonality and that gives you confidence that he actually does talk. Yeah. You talked about your own kind of journey and conversion here. Mm -hmm. What other bits of advice would you have for those who are like, I hear what you're saying and it sounds cool, but I just can't get myself over the distraction and the need to kind of perform and slow down and, and get stuff done in order to kind of do this kind of prayer. Talk about like what advice, I mean, this, this is a pastoral conversion you're kind of relating where it's like, I mean, I just started to, to see the fruit. I started to pray like what other 
bits of advice would you offer for those who hear what you're saying, they find it attractive and they don't know where to start? Schedule it, like put it on your calendar and actually do it. Yeah. And don't just do it once or twice. You got to do it for a little while Mm -hmm. because you're not going to initially hear. I mean, you might, the Lord has power. He can, I mean, he knocked St. Paul off his horse, right? Mm -hmm. He has power. He can speak to you right away, but that was not my experience. My experience took that. I just had to make a commitment to consciously do it. So when we would take the young people on retreat in England, it was between 2010 and 2013. This was back in the early days of things things like Facebook and all that kind of stuff and all the crazy distractions we have now that have just magnified themselves in these last 10 years. There was something that was very peaceful for them when they actually turn off all the noise. Mm. There was a joy that they had when they turn off all the noise. And I think it's hard for us today because uh, we feel like we have to be constantly informed. We feel like we have to constantly answer uh, our phones. Um, I And I don't understand where that where that drive in us comes, like we have to answer our phones. Like it rings right now. I have to answer it. Whatever I'm doing doesn't matter. I have to answer my phone. Right. No, you don't. Like 20 years ago, for most of the people in this podcast, probably lived at some point in time before cell phones came out. Like 20 years ago, if someone called you and you weren't home, you got back to them later. Yeah. You don't have to answer our phone immediately. Yeah. Um, so you really need to take the time. And the other component I, I go back to when I was in England, um, I was in a session with Archbishop. He's a cardinal now. He, um, I was in a session with him and he said to the group, they were asking a very similar question to yours. It, this, the question was actually, what's the best time to pray? And he was like, pick the time that's best for you. You know, a lot of people say you should pray first thing in the morning. Right, that's if great. my wife was to pray first thing in the morning, it would be completely ineffective because she would fall back asleep. If I was to pray at 10 o'clock at night, I would just fall asleep. That's not the best time for me. Yeah. His point was, is that prayer is so important. You need to pick the best time for it and yes. put it on your calendar at that time. Because that's the most important thing. Because if we are truly desiring to follow the Lord, we need to schedule it on our time and make it a priority. You know, the common cliche of like, if you want to evaluate where your priorities are, look where you spend your money. I think yeah. today it's more look where you spend your time. Look yeah. at your calendar and where's your time? And is are you prioritizing prayer in your time? I think the biggest thing to answer your question in a shortest, best answer is probably put it on your calendar and then stick to it and do it. Yeah, Joe, that's awesome. I mean, our time has just like flown. I, I always think through, it's like, okay, I think I want to talk about these things, but like, I love the way our conversation unfolded. I feel like, I mean, you offered some real, practical insights. Like this is how you actually make prayer and discernment real. So I want to give you kind of one last opportunity here, you know, for those who are listening to this and they're like, man, like I want to do this. I want to live this. I want to live this way. Uh, I don't just want to say yes, because an opportunity came my way. Any closing thoughts? When you follow what the Lord is calling you to do, it bears great fruit in all aspects of your life. Mm. And to do that is hard because we're not used to doing it. Mm -hmm. But when you get used to doing it, it becomes very easy. So don't hesitate to go down that path because it's hard, Mm -hmm. because it will get easier. It doesn't get harder. It only gets easier. The more you engage with the Lord, the more you start praying with him, the more you spend time with him, the more you start following his call, the easier it becomes to engage with him, to father his, follow his call. So I would say trust in the process, basically. Yeah. Continue sticking down that path when you go down it. 
and I hear you saying, because you, you talked about this this earlier, that folks that would make a decision to bring a question to the Lord when the answer was surprising. Mm-hmm. Maybe they they found themselves feeling called to give more of themselves than they had anticipated. It's not like the Lord didn't have a plan. All the other areas of their life were blessed because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if we're honest, like, just like, I'm like getting excited here. I should be like amping down for the end of the show here. But, <laughs> but like, if we're honest, so many of us let what we have misinterpreted to be a call from the Lord. Well, I got an invitation. So I said, yes, we let that damage our prayer lives, damage yes. our family life. And ultimately we're like, hell, I don't like saying yes to Jesus. That just makes me tired and bitter. It's like, no, actually he wasn't the one asking. We said yes way too quickly before we actually heard his voice. And if we had listened, maybe he would have said not yet or not now or in this way, but we didn't slow down to ask him. Yeah. Even when we do, even if he says something surprising, all the areas of our life benefit. Yes, absolutely. And I think one of the things I've trained myself because I've recognized that in my life, because I'm a doer, like if someone asked me to do something, I'm going to normally, I was normally going to say yes. I have trained myself in life now to ask, to say, when someone asks me to do something, I tell them two things. I say, one, I have to ask my wife. Yes. Because she's (laughs) great. safety valve. I have to ask my wife. And everyone is always open to that. There's like some people, if they ask you to do something and you say, well, I have to talk to my wife first, everyone's okay with that. No one has ever complained of that. And then the other thing I I ask them is like, well, I need to pray about that and see if the Lord's calling me to do that. Yeah. And then you actually have to go pray about it and see if the Lord's calling you to do it. Yes. You know what I mean? And sometimes it's as simple as so like, I don't know if this is pertinent to the conversation here, but you had asked David Dawson, my director to do this, but he just had a child mm-hmm. like a couple of days ago. So you asked if I could do it instead because of our experience in Omaha. And when David asked me, I was driving at the time and I literally just stopped and said, okay, I'm going to say three Hail Marys and Lord speak to that. And that's all it took. And yeah. it was clearly like, yes. And I was reminded, it was funny when I was praying those Hail Marys and I stopped and just thought a little bit about it. I was reminded that when I left Omaha, I always felt, and my wife felt that we would have, so she worked at Pope Paul VI Institute in Omaha. Nice. Um, And we both always felt that there would be some kind of future interaction with Omaha. So when I, when that came to mind, as I was praying those rosary, that to me was almost a conversation, confirmation of yes, go have that conversation with, with Jim, even though like, there's a lot going in life right now. You know, I was helping my parents move from New Jersey to Louisiana. We're still recovering from a hurricane. My in-laws are moving out of my house to move to Vermont. Like there's a lot going on life right now. And I could easily see that this would be something that the Lord wasn't necessarily calling me to do, but it was very clear when I took the time, short time to pray about it. It was clear, like, yeah, you need to have that conversation. So I did. That's awesome. Thank thank you. (laughs) Thank you for saying yes. Thank you, Jesus, for giving Joe the clearance. Joe, as we close up here, what are some resources that you found personally inspiring and helpful? I think as a team, for our team as a whole, something has been very important to us is uh, the encyclical of John Paul, Mission of the Redeemer. Yeah. The characteristics of a missionary disciple that he talks about in there. The other thing that has been been very important for us as a team is John 15, the Mm -hmm. concept 
concept of being attached to the vine that's that's a recurring theme for us and then for me personally uh, there's two things that have been very poignant to me in a lot of my interactions with lay volunteers and other people is the first one was uh, john paul's apostolic exhortation i don't think it's an encyclical christi fidelis laici yes. the call of the laity mm-hmm. because i think in this day and age we forget that we as lay people not just because I work for the church, but we as lay people in our personal lives too, have a call to mission. For so long, we have not answered that call to mission, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the struggles in the church that we're having today is because we don't answer those call, answer that call to mission. And I was very skeptical of that. I wasn't really sure at first. It's I was very like uncertain of why that is the case. Mm-hmm. And and I think it wasn't until I recently, in the last year or so, a book came to my awareness called um, From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. I don't know if you yes, ever read that book by it. a guy, yes. Monsignor Shea. Yes. I think what it is, is a lot of us today, um, especially in places like Omaha, where you are, and places where I am in Homa Thibodeau, because in all honesty, if I remember Omaha correctly, like there, it's a very Catholic area. Mm-hmm. Everyone there is Catholic. Same thing down here, like everyone is Catholic. You can hit a driver and hit a Catholic parish from pretty much anywhere in our parish <laughs> or anywhere in our diet in, in our diocese. They're so close together. Same thing in Omaha. You have churches right next to right near each other in Omaha. I think because we live in those worlds, because we live in communities that are so inherently Catholic, we are almost not inclined to realize how mm-hmm. radically different the world around us is. Yes. How radically yeah. different the the soup that we're swimming in is or the soup that we're living in is. And that book opened my eyes to realize that we are not in the same world where the lady cannot answer that call to mission. Mm-hmm. If we don't answer that call to mission, then the church is going to go through very, very, very difficult times mm-hmm. if we don't step up and actually do what the Lord is calling us to do. And that all starts with prayer. It all starts with asking him, Lord, what are you calling me to do? Because we are not all called to run programs in our parish, but we may be called to something small, or we may be called to something large. You got to ask. It all starts with asking the Lord the question of what he wants. So I would say those are probably some of the key resources that have really been helpful for me as of late. I love it. Yeah, each of those actually holds a very special place kind of in my journey and formation as a missionary and hearing the Lord's call. So, Joe, this has been so fun. This has been fan- fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for saying yes. Thanks for praying about it. You're welcome. Everybody, you you all, uh, you know somebody who needs to hear this conversation, right? Somebody in particular who's like, maybe they have low boundaries and they say yes to everything. And this is your this is your loving way of helping them. So uh, you know how to share it out. Just, you know, wait till you stop driving and after you get home, walking the dog, but share this with somebody who needs to hear it. Thanks, everybody. Mm-hmm.